You're good. Hello, everyone. This is our second podcast for our Texas Tech TPUSA chapter. Today, we're going to be talking about the uh, recent activism we've seen across the United States with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, just kind of an open forum, getting our thoughts and opinions. Obviously, these are our own thoughts and opinions, so nothing here is the thoughts or opinions of the TPOSA chapter or the national chapter. Um, but yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, since this is just our second podcast and everyone's not yet accustomed to the soothing sound of our voices, we'll go around again. Uh, I'm Joe Rosenwinkel. I am our secretary for the upcoming school year. Uh, I'm Custis, Custis Moore. Um, I'm president for the next upcoming school year. I'm Kieran Bingley. I am your treasurer for this upcoming school year. I'm Megan. Uh, I'm, I'm the social media director. I'm Chaz Kennedy. I'm your vice president for this upcoming s semester. Awesome. Well, now that people are getting more accustomed to our soothing voices, as Joe said, um, any, anyone want to start us off with a question? Um, anything related to uh, the Black Lives Matter protests? Anything that has been, um, anything on your minds? So, you know, I'll be honest. Uh, what, what happened to COVID? Because now you see people <laughs> across the nation just in swarms, you know, not taking into account what they're protesting or We'll get into that, of course, in a minute, but like, did just COVID just, you know, was the cure just mass protest? <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. I'm wondering what right. the infection rates are right now, but. And, yeah. And I've seen people, it's the same health officials um, talking about, yes, these protests are good. And I'm like, they're just playing the politic game. I feel like where um, their side wanted, um, you know, a lot of things to shut down during coronavirus. They were scared, all this stuff. And now that they've most Americans, I would say, aren't really scared anymore. Um, they're on the side of that. They're just playing to what their supporters want, I guess. They don't want to be in the bad or whatever. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, them I, and every other company across the United States, you know. Uh, but the companies weren't responsible in keeping us safe. They were just playing the game to begin with. That right. is true. That right. is true. A lot. Everyone was like just on the cusp of wanting to get over COVID, wanting to just move on with life. And when this hit, it was that perfect storm that everyone could get out into the streets comfortably enough without freaking out too much when someone accidentally spat on them. And, <laughs> and now we're going to be seeing the effects of that, and it's coming full storm. Uh, I forgot the state. Somebody declared another state of emergency just preemptively because they said uh, this has been way too public, and it's going to come back, and our hospitals need to be ready. So, If I had to bet it, it was California. Yeah, I saw Arizona actually has gone into like their plan C or whatever, their emergency plan for coronavirus, um, just preemptively. Um, it's not like they, they don't have a ton of protests and stuff, but they opened up fully a couple weeks ago. And I don't know if they're expecting more cases or if they've had more cases, but I don't think they're planning on shutting down. So they're in emergency mode. I don't know why I read that this morning when I woke up. It's yeah. the news. <laughs> it's the news you can't trust anything anymore and I, I keep seeing these videos of cops like brutalizing people or cops taking down a protester or stuff like this and they all seem to be conveniently cut to one way or another they seem to be conveniently cut either in favor of the police officer or in favor of the person who's being oh yeah brutalized in the video like it's impossible to tell um yeah, I saw one that was a side-by-side -side of the one video from the um, 
I guess you would say it was the leftist who posted it and then one on the right, which was like uh, someone else who was viewing it at the time. And if you watch the one on the left, uh, these cops just go at this guy with batons and it's truly, it's truly horrible. And I would, I looked at it. I'm like, yeah, that is actually like really wrong. There's not a lot you can do that merits such a beating. Right. Uh, but then you watch the actual video from a person who was there and the guy previously takes the one cop and body slams him against a truck and tries to throw him down into the pavement. Nice. And this one guy is struggling to stand up when his other cop friend joins him and then they take down the guy. And it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why did we cut out the body slam? Yep. And I've, I saw a video of like a police officer pulling over um, an African-American guy. And it was like his girlfriend, wife, I don't know who it was, um, recording, the vi- recording the video of him being like arrested. Um, and the dude like throws an elbow and then a punch at the cop. So a cop pulls out, I think it was his taser. I don't think it was his gun. He pulls out his taser. He just aims it at him, waits for backup. His superior gets there. They put him on the car and put him in handcuffs. And the whole caption was like, oh, it's police brutality. And then it comes out that the dude was going 101 in a 65, refused to give the officer his license and his insurance, um, which if you refuse to give an officer your license when you're pulled over, you are subject to being arrested. Um, and then when you try to throw a punch, you're technically resisting arrest. But, um, but yeah. Small things, yeah. And you're like, I've seen this stuff. And then I think it was, was it Buffalo PD in New York that pushed that 75-year-old guy to the ground? Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. What is that whole situation? I I didn't get a whole lot of update on that one. He was just protesting with the rest of them, and he walked up to the police line, and they gave him a shove back, but you don't shove back a 75-year-old man. Of course, he fell and hit the ground badly. It was a terrible, terrible uh, example of just overuse of force there. That was a moment where someone just would have taken an extra two seconds of thought and said, how should I respond as an enforcement uh, official. Right. And I think shoving the old guy wasn't it. Well, the whole, that whole group, there's like 75 of them or whatever in that section or whatever. They all like, they all quit um, the day after that because those guys were apparently just following orders. Um, but I don't know. That, that was a weird situation. And I don't know. Hmm. It, there's, yeah, you can't tell anymore what's real, what's not real. Did you guys see the video of the of NYPD? Uh, they had the whole, looks like the whole, uh, force out there. And one gentleman speaking, I don't know his name, but I was, yeah, that's been circulating yeah. a lot on Twitter as well. I watched that this morning. Um, or I guess last night, I don't know. I got home from work and watched it. Yeah. The whole, all cops are bad thing. Um, I, I am not getting on board with that, um, whatsoever. Personally, I don't know how that actually fits into the Black Lives Matter movement because there are African-American police officers. There's female African-American police officers. So do their lives matter less because they're a police officer? It, that isn't, I mean, yeah. I've, I don't know. I saw a picture that's been circulating and it was the police line protecting a building or something, probably a government building. Um, and it was this white, lady who's probably I mean, she, she's at a black lives matter protest screaming so she, i'm assuming she's leaning towards the left screaming at a black police officer about racism and cops and i'm just like what is going on through that cop's head at that moment like i don't know it was just really funny picture that i saw you know i, I think what i've taken away from all this in general is that 
we have seen a, a militarization of the police uh, within the past probably 20 or 30 years um, to the extent where it's, I believe, unnecessary, given there are some situations where, you know, it is needed that we have a SWAT team. We have these higher uh, performance teams that are needed. But in all reality, you know, we shouldn't have you know, I don't know my thoughts on the whole tear gas situation. Um, rubber bullets, I have no experience with, so I don't, I don't know how those. Uh, are. They're obviously non-lethal, but I, I kind of don't like the militarization of the police over these past couple of decades. And I think the police departments across the United States need some reform as far as hiring and standard procedure. I heard um, some coworkers of mine talking about uh, some police department. I think it maybe it was in New Mexico but they're going to start mandating uh, every six months a psychiatric uh, review. Um, I, I, that's a step in the right direction, but I think it comes down more than just psychiatric review. We need to have our police departments having uh, updated policies and stuff like that, that they can deal with these situations better. Yeah. Um, I think if district attorneys and police departments would actually charge their officers when they do something wrong with a crime, that crime rates among police officers would drop. Um, there's a lot of DAs, even, um, oh goodness, Amy Klobuchar, what's her name? Klobuchar. Klobuchar, yeah. Um, she had, um, there, there's been cases of multiple officers within her district that she has not charged. And it was obvious that they probably should have been charged with some sort of um, brutality crime. I, I think if people actually charge them, um, rates would drop. I, that, that, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, it's just a theory. Um, there's 100% an issue with, I agree, Kira, and the funding towards police. I too have looked at that and seen like pictures of these like, beefed out like armored personnel carriers and I think why and I look at things like rubber bullets and beanbag rounds and I don't like the idea of anything from a firearm uh, being shot into protesters I just think that's the wrong idea even if those protesters become violent rioters with no clear moral compass uh, and yeah just some accountability for a less robust less uh, mechanized police force would go a long way into strengthening community ties you know, I agree for the most part, Joe, I think, but I do think that non-lethal options are definitely uh, need to stay pretty prevalent in the, the police uh, armory, uh, mostly because there are situations that we see where those are necessary. The taser is a, a perfect example of something that has really changed the way the police forces use their uh, enforcement tactics. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about this whole defunding uh, the police argument. I don't think that's the right step um, because we do live in a nation where we have uh, pretty strong freedom of speech, very strong, the strongest freedom of speech within the world um, and very strong firearm rights. Obviously they, that's changed a lot uh, in the past few decades too. But um, you know, if we, if we have a police force that can't handle situations where people do have high powered firearms, um, then, you know, we, that's, that's an issue and that there needs to be a balance for that. But I do, as I said earlier, the militarization of the police is, is a concern of mine, but I don't know about defunding, maybe just reallocating money towards certain programs. You know, I don't know. That, yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Um, it, it, it doesn't take very long to become a police officer in most precincts. Um, 
And honestly, I feel like we're setting up a lot of these cops for failures because the short amount of time that it takes to become a police officer, there's no way you can go through every damn situation that you're going to come into um, as a police officer. And there's situations where cops are like, what do I do? And they make the wrong decision. They're human. We make the wrong decisions. And um, I don't know. It just, I think the training is a really big problem for the, I think it's like 800 hours or something that they train yeah. for around there. And like, okay, so my dad works like he's an agent for Homeland Security. And he went to like basically a boot camp for six months in the middle of Georgia. And that was his training. Like it was all day, every day. Right. And he's more prepared for his job than a police officer would be. But his job, it might be different, but they're almost handling the same situations and they work alongside each other. Right. So shouldn't they both like be at an equal training level? Yes. And no, I think, but yes. I, I agree. I feel like the police force has been, as far as employment goes, uh, there's been a shift towards keeping it community-based, which is good, but the, the uh, practice itself didn't follow suit. So you have an opening for a lot of community members to very easily become employed uh, and help keep the peace, which only works as far as the system's willing to let it. And I think that these people who might even have gone in with these good intentions are being set up to build in these biases because they're continuously just being thrown against the wall. And even if someone didn't start out in a position where they might hold animosity towards certain minority groups, I could see how if you were forced to try to repeatedly go into situations that you probably weren't prepared for, you're going to deal for it in ways that aren't going to be the correct response. Right. Um, yeah. So, so here's an interesting uh, argument that I've heard. I'm not sure how much I agree with it, but you know, I think um, a, a fair amount of the time, I don't want to say a lot of the time, but a fair amount of the time, um, police recruiting, police force recruiting kind of is uh, word of mouth, right? So it's like you got a buddy in the police force and maybe you, you're in need of a job or uh, you're looking for something new and you're like, oh, okay, I'll try this out. Now, what I'm getting to in saying that is, you know, we, I'd say the vast majority of cops, um, well, a, a good majority are, have, do have good intentions. Um, obviously, I don't know for sure, but that's what I've seen in my community. We have pretty good uh, policing in this area. I don't want to say so much as Albuquerque, but I know Las Cruces is pretty good. But what I'm what I'm curious about and what the argument was is, you know, if that police police officer who they are spreading via word of mouth, um, if that police officer is aggressive, he is likely to attract other aggressive uh, people, right? So it just makes me wonder how the police force could change its recruiting methods. Obviously it needs to intensify them and have the, the requirements be a little uh, more in depth, a little uh, harder, but um, you know, it just makes me wonder, do aggressive individuals within the police force attract other aggressive individuals? Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, that makes sense, I guess, in a way. Um, I don't know. I don't know if being aggressive as a police officer is a bad thing. It's the way you use that aggression, um, if that makes sense. In, yeah, in the light of everything going on, it's a pretty safe assumption aggressive means yeah. that they're performing their job incorrectly. They're doing so with bias. And I would agree. I would personally, if I were radicalized, 
I would get my radicalized friends to join in. Uh, you wouldn't expect someone who's walking the straight and narrow, I would say, to be as eager to have their friends, hey, hop into what is arguably one of the most stressful jobs in the world. How, like you wouldn't say, hey, you're my friend, you and I keep a level head, let's hop into this together. I guess some people do, and it's awesome that they do, but if I were radicalized, I would definitely move to bring in uh, my friends with a lot more wild worldviews. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I feel like if training were longer, a lot of people um, who were like that would give up, if that makes sense. They'd be like, you know what, really, I don't, I don't want to do this. Um, but yeah. It, um, it gives more weight to their, their commitments and their sacrifices to say that we're actually behind them and we endorse their training not they had a two-week onboarding process and they're ready to perform the law. Right. Yeah, it's just like SEAL training, right? They they go through, I think it's three or four levels of uh, weed-out courses, essentially. Um, BUDS being the hardest, of course. Um, but, you know, I think when, of a class of 300 of, of what I've heard, only like 20 or so guys actually make it. Yeah. Obviously, that's not going to be effective for maintaining a strong police force, but I'm sure those guys are, for their position, they're extremely skilled, they're extremely determined, and they're going to be the, the cream of the crop, right? So, you know, maybe we can try to reach something like that. Probably, you know, not 300 to 20, but maybe like 300 to 100 or 300 to somewhere around there. Right. Um, yeah. I just think there's a lot of cops who who use their power in a bad way just because they like having power, if that makes sense. A lot. I mean, it's just, it's a basic human thing. It's like when we have power, we want to have power. It's really hard to give that up. Um, there's so many examples throughout history and just everything. Um, they just think they're on like a God status or something like that, where they can do whatever the hell they want. And that that's not what they're there for. Um, but yeah. And, and I do know, um, my, my uncle's police officer in Richardson. Um, I, I, we're really close with him. Um, and he's always, he's wanted to be a cop since he was in middle school, just cause he liked helping people and he thought it'd be really cool. And so he's been one ever since. And, uh, yeah, he's, yeah. I mean, he does it because he wants to help people. He doesn't do it because he wants to, you know, use his power for bad, I guess. Well, actually, I have a solution to help the problem with the police um, situation. I feel like, Start next year, in a couple of years, we start having app to like basically allows when somebody gets stopped by police, if the officer shows that he has a bad record, the person who's the app can request a different officer. To well, like, yeah, I think officers who have bad records shouldn't be officers. Is is the yes. whole point? And the problem you run into that is Derek Chauvin, Chauvin, whatever his name is, in Minneapolis. Um, he had a long record, but a lot of the times in inner cities, um, in, in like Dallas, for example, Dallas is extremely undermanned on the police department, like dangerously undermanned, especially since they put two police officers to a car now because so many officers had been killed in the previous years. Um, yeah, it, it's just when someone screws up in that inner city, they're, they're more likely, I, I just, this is just a thought, they're, they seem to be more likely to get away with it and keep the job because if they fire him, they don't have anyone else is the point. Um, I don't know, a lot of the bigger cities are extremely undermanned because 
I wouldn't want to be a police officer in Dallas. I'm just saying I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to be a police officer in Richardson. Um, yeah, someone has to take the job. Another person well, my opinion is also like to have like limit the police unions. And also addition to that, I agree also, with that. Yeah. Yeah. In addition, it's also like make sure like each cop has like at least like two years of training at a community college or higher. To show um, they're actually I'm not. I'm not one for everyone having a college degree, but um, I think if there was a long, extensive training just for being a police officer, that w- that would be better than like an associate's degree. That's that's my opinion, though. Like a police police school. Yeah, totally. Yeah, if, I, if, I if agree yeah. with uh, definitely the training is 100%. And Chaz, I agree with you that there might be some issue indeed with the police unions. Uh, I am all for unionization. Uh, I, I can appreciate uh, the power of the people and having them all work together to support each other in their respective uh, fields. But there is something about uh, unionization of a law enforcement organization that kind of bothers me because I feel like the union itself, like America, is that union and they should all be, they shouldn't have to feel the need to come together to defend each of them on the officer level against their superiors. I feel like they should all feel that they have the support of the system behind them. And the fact that police unions, we always hear, have so much clout is because they don't feel that trust from the top down. Well, you know, it's not just police unions that have that clout or that power. It's it's teachers unions, it's steelworkers unions. Unions are very powerful. Um, they yes. carry a lot of weight in our economy and amongst our, our voting system. Um, and, you know, if, if we were to say police officers can't have unions, that's just like saying nobody can have unions, right? It's just like saying this group can't have freedom of speech and nobody can have freedom of speech, right? So that's there's a problem with the system overall that really can't be overcome. Um, but unions are tricky. They really are. Yeah. I would look at it like they're performing a valuable service to the nation. And I see them almost as you're kind of going off uh, the correct terminology, like a military force. Again, we don't want them to be, but as a respect of like service to the country, you don't, you don't hear about, this group of troops in Afghanistan have a, a union, which I'm sure they've got their own sort of support structures there. Uh, and for all I know, they could be unionized, but you don't hear about something happening in combat. And then the troops union is what's standing up to the rest of the organization. And I feel kind of the same should apply towards the police in that they serve that valuable role of life and death and the law and protecting us and that we just got to be more cautious about instead of having them feel the need to create unions, that they should just feel the support from the top down to begin with and to trust the command. Well, and that's the thing. It's hard to trust people, um, especially people who are above you and could terminate your position. Um, I think police unions do protect bad cops um, a lot of the times. Um, just like I think teachers unions can protect bad teachers. Um, Very much so. But yeah, um, I don't know. Unions are interesting. Um, I like the First Amendment, but then again, I don't like protecting bad people doing a bad job at their job, especially when you have a a gun in your pocket 
<laughs> like yeah I mean, it's just yeah there's a lot of power having that firearm on you all the time right and I don't know. Honestly, I think if we just devoted more of the money that is given to the police force, which I mean, I'm not one for spending more money at all. I, I never like spending more money on anything. Um, yeah, I think if we just move that money towards training more instead of having like these super high sophisticated stuff that they have. Now, some precincts need some of that stuff because crime Chicago, is technically higher. Like, yes, like like even Dallas. Um, yeah, mostly just. Um, inner cities but but yeah i know plano they don't they don't need all the super fancy weapons that they have like like where i live it's just crime rates are really low um i would argue we got to keep the police force community based and keep it a lot more reduced and if things get out of hand that's when we should be able to more readily pull on things like the national guard Hmm. that's where our armored strength should come from what do you mean community-based? I'm kind of. I yeah. think that's a little broad. Can you hear that down, um, Joe? Yeah. No. So, where I live, it was like annexed by the city of Houston, right? Fairly recently, for no reason other than they wanted to grab the, this particular community because it is upper middle class. It's a great, great addition to the tax base. Um, and so the local police force got disbanded and replaced with the city ta- police force. And they do a fabulous job. I love the city of Houston. They do a great thing. But I feel like it's unfair to them to have the same system that applies to all of the city of Houston in this massive area is the same force that has to also police this tiny community that we call the bubble. I think if there were a local police force for us, uh, police relations would be a lot better. Not that they're bad. And certainly things go very well around here. Um, but having a localized police force, that kind of the, the guy next door, your neighbor is the police officer kind of thing. Hmm. I feel like that it I, gives less of a sense of this whole us versus them. It's not an occupying force. It's not someone who just got, this is their new route. They're just going to patrol this city for the first time. I think the police should be from our neighbors so that we see them as our neighbors and we respect them as much as they will respect us. You know, in New Mexico, I got to say they do that um, because a lot of the times in neighborhoods, you know, my neighborhood, not so much. I'm, I'm quite a ways out of town um, and we're, it's pretty, you know, there's probably maybe 200 homes where I'm at within uh, several thousand acres. Um, but, you know, further in town and this happens in Albuquerque as well, um, in every one of those larger communities, um, suburban communities, there are, I believe, it looks to me like um, a police officer a street or every two streets. Um, so in New Mexico, I know we have a pretty community base. They know what's going on within their community, but I can't speak for the rest of the United States. I don't know. So Joe, y'all's police department in Kingwood has to follow the same rules as the Fifth Ward? In Houston? Um, I do not know. All I know is that once upon a time, it was Kingwood in Houston. And then very recently, like 2008, maybe I want to say, the city of Houston said, that looks tasty. I'm going to get it. Right. And so they, they took us over. That's what and, Houston does. And, so <laughs> yeah, so, so the, the Kingwood Police Department was no more. It was the city of Houston. So, so it's Houston PD in Kingwood, really? Yep. Which is That's absolutely ridiculous because they're 
uh, for the only reason they they came over here was because the city said we want your tax money. Right. Um, Houston's and, all annexed. Every single thing yeah, of it is literally annexed. But. And I'm sure they hired local police officers. But when you see HPD cruising around a town that still very much identifies as Kingwood, right? It's like I feel there is a community disconnect that exists, and it's not not prevalent here. But I could totally understand it in another part of the United States. Now, Joe, did those officers at Kingwood get a, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Did they become a part of Houston PD? Like, are they, are the same I, I officers only, still uh, employed? I assume so, yeah. Mm. Well, then I, I would say that you still have kind of your community base. No, but I, the visual, I, I can the understand what Joe's lost. saying. Yeah, okay. it's, it doesn't matter where they come from if they're wearing a different uniform they're a different oh yeah, i understand like, okay i apologize yeah it's just a prop i guess like literally like mm-hmm. nothing changed other than the name and the uniform and i okay. guess the cars and yeah, and that's where signs. you look at that that annexation for right. taxes it's like the whole purpose of that was just to give the city some more revenue but at yeah. the same time the city is wasting its resources in a place that was already well suited to work so how far of a drive is it to like actual houston within like the sam houston toll road uh it's you hop in the car you can easily take a half hour or more okay that's what i thought like it's just Hmm. i just know houston's so big it's a oh god everywhere you go you're still in houston it's right it's ridiculous ridiculous. as far as getting to the city goes that's not something that happens a lot that's like a special trip because you're actually going to the city yeah, that, like, that's, that's where that's where my family is from, and so like we'd get to the woodlands, and it's like, yeah, we still have another hour drive till we're at Mimi and Papa's house, and I'm like, oh great, like oh yeah, you're in Houston, but no, you're not in Houston, but yes, you are, but you're not. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, it's. I think it's just. I love the idea that we're all one big happy family down here, um, but when it comes to policing, if I were to imagine Houston as other cities, other places where they're having a lot more trouble. I really appreciate the idea that maybe you don't feel like the police are there for your best interest when it seems like they're just some group from the city who comes right. in each day and disappears. Interesting. So would, we've we've really discussed, Megan, if you go ahead. How would you handle that though in situations like New York? Because police is like NYPD isn't paid enough to live in New York or live in Manhattan to make that a community feel. How would you actually go about that? I mean, there's several neighborhoods in New York City. You can't have a Manhattan PD and a Bronx PD and a Brooklyn PD. Like it just, it won't work. That's interesting. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. It's very, it's, I guess that's just a, an aspect of my own privilege I, I right it, now. I can make my own conception right here. So this works perfectly here, but yeah, it's a, in a city I, like New York. I think that's what Joe's point is though. It's like if it's one community or whatever, I don't know. Um, it depends on the community, if that makes sense. Right. So it should be down to who lives there. If that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, but can you, can you give us so an example great. there, Custis? I don't know. Um, it's the whole thing, like, about how states should make laws about their states, and the national government doesn't know what the hell they're talking. Like, if the national government makes a law for all fifty states, it it it, it may be different for each state. Each state may view it differently. If that makes sense, I don't know if that's how that. Like, that's kind of how I took what Joe was saying. It's like, oh yeah, police department. Um, doesn't feel like a community in Houston or in Kingwood anymore because it's Houston PD, but in New York, that may be completely different. I have no idea how people in New York view um, their police department. Um, I'm assuming it's not in a positive manner, um, but, but I have no idea. When I say New York, I mean like New York city and stuff, but, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think it down to the community, I guess that makes sense. 
Yeah. Megan, do you have an idea for that? What do you mean by that? Like what, uh, you know, how would you uh, see that this is better executed within those areas? I, so, okay, people when they're from New York City, usually it's not like, oh, I'm from New York City. They say, oh, I'm from the Bronx. Or they yeah. say, oh, because it's your neighborhood. That's how it's, I don't know. It's based on usually on income, based on where you live and um or what you work near um i don't think there really is a way to fix new york i think with places like houston i really don't because of the way that the city's laid out and the attitude of most of the people there in land-based cities like landmass like houston that should probably be divided up and split into different precincts but when everyone is congested and it happens in chicago la philadelphia new york you can't split that up right. it's all land-based that's how precincts are divided hmm. yeah um so I, I, it's just different for every area i guess if that makes sense i just don't think everyone can establish like a community feel i don't think that that's ever going to be yeah. attainable okay interesting so obviously there's a disconnect between our communities and our police departments but it's, it's a tricky problem um, now what do, what do we think about uh, specifically about the black lives matter movement um, and kind of the way they've been going about things. I personally, I think they're, uh, the goals and the, the defining, um, goal of the movement is great. Um, <clears throat> it should have, it should have been, this should have been solved 400 years ago. Um, but you know, I don't, there's been a lot of involvement of Antifa in this. And I think that's, we've, I think we all have seen the videos of, there being black protesters in the area where looting is happening. And it seems like those BLM protesters are the ones causing the violence. But in all reality, we've gotten these closer glimpses lately where we've seen white people, Antifa, dressed as Antifa, uh, just completely destroying these things. And these black people or the people protesting for Black Lives Matter are stopping them. Now that's so interesting to me because I honestly, I didn't suspect that. And that's, we, as someone who is not, I haven't been able to go to a protest yet because I've been so busy with work, but, you know, how can you tell um, that that's actually happening unless someone actually t shows you? Because then you're like, oh, the Black Lives Matter movement is looting and destroying the city. But in all reality, it's not really their fault. It's Antifa, right? Yeah. So what do you um, guys think about all that? I totally, I mean, when I've seen like live videos and stuff from news feeds and all that, a lot of, I agree, it's a lot of these uh, Black Lives Matter people are the ones who are genuinely being peaceful. And then you just look and there's like some crazy white guy tearing down a street sign. I mean, it's like, yeah. I appreciate your energy to support the cause, uh, but tearing down the street sign is not going to do it. And you I mean, look at yeah. damage to property from these rioters. Oh, sorry, Augustus. No, you're good. Um, I was just saying, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, we look at things like the Tea Party, the Boston Tea Party. And that's like, you know, American flags everywhere. We love that stuff. Uh, they tossed about $1.7 million worth of tea into the harbor. And that's like a lot of money. But then you look at like what's been going on now, and we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars of small town businesses, people's homes, an entire uh, a new housing community that was being developed for uh, low-income families, 198 apartments burned to the ground. And it's like, yeah, that's not the Boston Tea Party. That's not a bunch of people attacking this government entity and calling it that at that one night. 
it's like this is some far-ranging completely uh cats out of the bag kind of thing and or, that's the wrong word never mind but yeah I, antifa taking over this kind of approach and putting the whole movement in a, a corner there with these attacks and these riots it's just them taking advantage of the black lives matter protesters Right. You know, it's when you say Tea Party, it just that I don't know if anyone saw the video of them rolling the Confederate statue into the water, but I was like, wow, that is that is Tea Party part two. That's hilarious. Yes, that, I can appreciate that one there. Definitely. Uh, I read about the statue and the guy, he donated a ton of money to that town, obscene amount, but all of it came from the slave trade. And I, mm-hmm. I can, that's not like removing a, a Civil War battleground marker, that's just some fat cat from from a, a corporation having his statue taken down. I don't mind. Yeah. And I don't know. I, th- this is another topic, I guess, but you know, if you want to, re- <laughs> something that I've seen is people posting, like we need to remove everything. Like that's been racist in America. I'm like, if you want to remove everything that's racist, you have to get rid of all $1 bills. Cause George Washington owned slaves. You have to rename Washington state. You have to rename Washington DC. You have to remove all $20 bills. Huh? Thomas Jefferson too. Thomas Jefferson, you have to remove all two dollar bills. Um, God, it's just you're just like, man. Um, I don't know. And there's a point where like I'm like we're really just. There's some people who actually want to erase history, and I'm like I don't I don't know if I I would like to completely erase history. Now having statues of Confederate leaders and stuff like that, yeah, you mean we should probably get rid of those. And, not have them on like public display. I don't think burning them to the ground is the solution, but having them on public display, like above everything else probably isn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. Cause we're idolizing that. And obviously we need right. some change, but you know, it just, there was some other uh, monuments caught in the crossfire on this. And Gandhi. of course I, yes, yeah, uh, Gandhi, statue. Gandhi, which was kind of interesting, but the one that um, I really found to be, pretty disgusting was the Armenian genocide uh, monument and that (laughs) one's made a lot of news but like that is I think 1.2 million people were killed in that and you know maybe people just didn't know but like that monument was completely trashed and that's pretty you know when we destroy some of these monuments like Custis said I agree some of these monuments should be taken down but um, when we're destroying a lot of this history we are bound to repeat it and that's just how we've learned history, right? Right. And it, it, it always seems to repeat itself. I mean, it, it takes a long time to do so. Um, but like there's statues of, I don't know, like Robert E. Lee and stuff like that. I don't think we need to, to burn them. I think they belong in like a museum actually, maybe not on like complete display, but everyone needs to know what, what, I mean, what we did, what America was um, and stuff like that. Yeah. Did you guys see the, the Massachusetts 54th regiment? Um, the uh yes like it was like spray painted over yeah so the massachusetts 54 regiment um was more was was um black soldiers during the civil war like a thousand of them and people were just spray painting and trying to destroy like civil war stuff and they they got the the black group (laughs) i was like oh f yeah it was just like it was just like haha you really don't even know what you're you're doing at this point a lot of the writers yeah oh and uh gone with the wind was removed from hbo max i don't oh know if you guys God. saw that yeah today <laughs> what well yeah it also it, 
it also did produce the first Black Academy Award winner, but we will, I don't know. Apparently it was, Oof. I don't know, racist wow. or something. I honestly, I didn't understand why. Well, how are yeah. we going to, how are we going to understand what racism is so we can uh, remove it from our culture if we have no way of seeing what it is, right? <laughs> I think that's, well, that was the, good. The word like and that. point there is, is culture. Uh, it's a part of American culture, and whether we want to admit it, because uh, it's incredibly uncomfortable to think about, there is a lot that we do in our daily lives that's just products of uh, discrimination, whether we mean it or not. And mean, that's where it's tricky to address, because it's not a book, <laughs> and it's not a statue, and it's not a police officer. It's the culture of America as a whole, and calling attention to that is the only way we're going to be able to slowly work it out of our societies because you can't just tear down the statue and then it all goes away. But it is a, a big stepping stone into reshaping our minds and our history for the, or not our history, but the future. Yeah. I mean, and here's my thing, like people, like a lot of people in the black community that have been like LBJ you know, like when he was in office, he called like by black people the N word and said they're getting uppity, and that him and the Democratic Party had been going for like Democrats for 300 years. But nobody talks about that. And also, people say like Lincoln wants to free the black people. But he on record has said numerous of times that black people should have the right to vote, but they should not be treated as equal as white people. Yeah. His main goal was to unite the union, not free blacks. So people don't criticize people like them, but they criticize people like in the Confederacy, like Robert e. Lee, whose main goal was to be loyal to Virginia and not slavery because he was in slavery. Right. And he, he didn't own slaves till he married into slaves. Robert E. Lee didn't. And his whole thing was he, he wanted to fight for the North, but he literally, he couldn't, he could not do it. He couldn't turn his back against his, his guys in Virginia. But I don't know. I don't know. Next thing we know, the stuff. the Arlington House, the Robert E. Lee, or the the Lee oh Mansion is going to be burned to the ground. Yeah, don't give him any ideas. <laughs> the, yeah, don't give him any ideas. <laughs> yeah, you know, in, in general, what I've started to see just in the U.S. culture alone is that we have we have created a huge culture of ignorance and blind reactions. Oh my and God, yeah. it and the lack of responsibility um you know i've i i bring this up uh, cautiously because it can get very convoluted but you know the whole people love to bring up the whole uh per capita black on black death white on white death police on black police on white people use that a lot um and you know i think in general our, our communities, no matter the color, need to be more responsible for what's happening within them. Um, I think, as I just said, we, we have a huge culture of do what you want, you're a free person, which is good, uh, but unless you're an idiot and you're just ruining what's been created around you by people that actually care. Um, this whole, I, I agree, there's an interesting thing I was looking at now, and I'm about to throw out some numbers here, uh, because I looked at this previously, now, Joe, what is so, your source real quick before we um, get into those numbers? Instagram and uh, the uh, GoFundMe for George Floyd's family. Oh, okay. It's a, okay. Here, you'll, my, it'll all come together. Just so it's so, known. 
Yes. Um, if you right now, I just searched up hashtag black on uh, Instagram. Hashtag blackout Tuesday has 29 million posts. Hashtag blackout today 2020 or blackout day 2020 has 1.2 million posts. Black Lives Matter has only 21.6 million, which is interesting to me because that kind of goes into what you were saying about our society is just like, we're, we're looking at this, um, I forgot the word you used, but I think of it as distanced. Uh, there's, a, there's a bias and a, uh, a privilege in social media. And for the fact that this Blackout Tuesday has more hashtags related to it than Black Lives Matter, says a lot because that's a lot about we've all seen it in our feeds uh people just post and post and post and post and post and some of it is really really good and some people genuinely are contributing to the discussion but i get the feeling that a lot of people are just posting for the sake of feeling good about themselves they're and just I, saving themselves from people yelling yeah, like i had someone I in my freaking instagram my, um, dms telling me yeah, i, was I turned to my other morning. my other number i mentioned there the um the actual amount of, so there's a bunch of, obviously there's a bunch of places you can donate and get involved. And I encourage anyone to do so. Um, but the official George Floyd Memorial Fund has raised, it's a whopping $14 million and that's tremendous. Wow. But the interesting thing about that is it only comes from 496,000 donors. You throw those numbers together and I did that earlier on getting ready for this. That means if you took everyone who posted the words hashtag uh, blackout Tuesday and a black square on their Instagram page, and I'm sure numerous donate links went along with that, only 1.7% actually contributed even mm -hmm. a penny. Mm -hmm. And that's saying a lot because it's great that we have this discussion. It's great that we're showing this awareness, but if it's just a bunch of people sitting in their rooms continuously reposting and reposting and I'm sure they're not even looking at the same things that are being reposted to them. And I get there are people out there who are doing a great thing and there are people out there who care and who are looking into all of these things, but I just get the feeling that it's been so far diluted. It's not about Black Lives Matter anymore. It's about how many people can include themselves in this, what's become a social media trend. And I yeah. think that's very dangerous for the movement. Yeah, I had... Yeah, I had someone, this is a quote from a girl who uh, responded to a post I sent that wasn't even controversial. Uh, what did I even post? Oh, it was the, <laughs> it was, it was a water faucet and it was defund police. I don't know if you, know, you can't see oh, it. Oh, and, <laughs> and it was the scissors. It was it. the scissors. There's <laughs> just something funny that I saw and I was like, ah, that's funny. Yeah, and so this for the, person, those of us who can't see it when the when it's a podcast, just a quick insight. It's yeah. a, a faucet running and defund the police as the scissors just cutting the water under the it's, faucet. It's, 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 it was it was not funny. Do anything. And this girl was like, I feel like I, I just feel like we all have a platform, and especially what's going on right now, you aren't really using it to speak up about Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, I don't I didn't like I'm not gonna respond to this person and make them all mad. Um and she's like, I don't think you really stand for Black Lives Matter. And that, that was the whole fuck, whole um, whole thing. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but like, yeah, I was like, you know, I don't know. People who people people are posting stuff about Black Lives Matter, I feel to escape 
what that is right there is people getting mad at them for not posting about it. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it's, they're worried. We're worried more about what's going to happen in a couple of years when someone looks at my Instagram and doesn't see a black black square square. versus how actually willing am I to donate money to donate my time to donate myself. And that 1.7% is a tragic number for a cause as truly worthwhile as this. It's protecting our brothers and sisters, our American friends who, who need the most help because they don't feel protected in their own communities. And for, for myself, I grew up in a lot of white neighborhoods. A lot of people I follow on Instagram are white, the vast majority of it. And the fact that I see a tremendous amount of these posts that at this point I don't even look at, it's saying something about how, how much commitment the nation is truly throwing behind this movement and how much of it is just a social media grab bag. Mm-hmm. And Joe, that's, that's the exact reason, you know, I, I didn't post that whole blackout Tuesday thing, but what I did do is I went through and I looked for 10 petitions that day and I signed those. That's real activism, in my opinion, if I may say myself. Yeah, no, totally. Um, it's a thousand times better than a post that someone's going to delete because it didn't get enough likes. I don't, I don't feel the need to broadcast to everyone that I, I just feel like I'm covering my ass when I'm doing that. And I don't like that because that doesn't feel like it's productive and it's helpful. I feel like donating uh you know the money can that can be interesting too because you don't know where it's going specifically but donating or signing petitions is a great way to do that yeah and maybe you know maybe the argument is i should have posted that to show my support and if everybody does that then we have a movement that is truly growing and gaining uh, attention but i just i didn't feel like that was just to what has happened and what has been happening so it's too disingenuous at this point a lot of the people who are doing it are just doing to do it. And then they're just going to go back to doing whatever they've done in their homes. Right. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. No. Yeah. Does anyone have any other thoughts? We're at about 50 minutes right now. We're getting a little long. Um, yeah. I got, I got my own yeah. thought. Like, go ahead, Jazz. I'm a black conservative, obviously. And like, I get a lot of black lives for that from, from the black community. Like people are like on Instagram. It's like, Oh, you can do a black thing. Get black lives. And like you voted for Trump and all that. I told people that I consider myself American first. And second of all, I vote for what I think is the best candidate, not based on race. That's not what I believe in. And I get like a, a lot of hate from like people from theater, mostly liberal, because I'm an actor, black and conservative. And I vote I'm a Trump supporter as well. So and I don't care what people think, but you know, I do feel like outcasted sometimes based on mm-hmm. my beliefs. Oh. Well, I can definitely appreciate that. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> to be yeah. perfectly blunt, there's just all of us white people out here talking about something that affects you tremendously more than it would affect us. Just, And the fact that you're choosing to be on the side that we all see, obviously, as being the one that has the most common sense behind it, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel for you, Chaz. I, I'd, love, I'd love to see what you've been doing and what we're going to do in the future together. And yeah, it's just it's awful that you have to defend yourself for what's arguably one of the most stand up kind of ways to live. And that's just doing what you feel is right. Yeah. And a lot of the times the left just expect people to vote 
for a Democratic candidate because they're oh, black. And I'm like, yeah, shoot, um, not even in general. a black candidate at this. It's point. just like, got... it's like, oh, you're 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 African, you're you're black, and you're not voting for Joe Biden. Like I've seen tweets like this, and I'm like, what are you like? What like? I know, and I. Oh, it's it's, Joe it's Biden. hilarious to me that we ended up having an entirely white elitist uh, primary uh, ballot. Uh, well, not entirely. Yeah. Excuse me. In a we year had like this. Andrew Yang. Uh, who else was colored on that Colby ballot? Gabbard. Col- yep. See, um, um, we Col- had a, there was there another Colbachar. We had a you know we had a more diverse group this year. Yeah, well, and, um, and we they just refused to. Do, do we not remember 2016, the Republican? Oh, yes. how, how diverse the Republican side was. Like I'm, I'm not even kidding. We had Teddy Cruz. Um, That's uh, a push. <laughs> he, he, I mean, he is technically. He is, he's yeah. But yeah, uh, Marco Rubio, um, Ben Carson, um, and then Trump. Those were, and then Jeb Bush. Those were like the, yeah, the top and, five, right? Like at one point, I can't remember, but uh. Let's see. I'm pulling up the candidates right now. Yeah, from 2016. I know they started off with like 40, but when it came down to it, um, I remember Rubio was actually leading for a long time on the. Republic. He was. Yes, I like I like Marco Rubio a lot. And uh, he was number three, and then uh, it was Donald, Ted, and then Marco. Yeah, I mean it's it, it wasn't. Yeah. And then you look at the current state of the Democratic Party. Two things I've found really interesting is recently there was a representative who was caught on a hot mic, a representative Democrat from New York. I forgot his name. He's been serving for decades, and he talked about the Black Lives Riot, Black Lives Matter riots, excuse me, and he used the phrase, uh, I wouldn't care if I didn't have a primary. And it's like, this is the guy who's been representing this community for decades, and he just openly admitted that he wouldn't care about the Black Lives Matter movement if he didn't have to rely on their votes. And then you flip over to Joe Biden, going from a representative to a presidential candidate, black. Uh, he, at the funeral, used the phrase, no child should ever ask, why is daddy gone? And that's a truly powerful statement, and I agree with that tremendously. But that's coming from the same guy who was behind and a huge uh, supporter of the Tough on Crime Acts that were the exact reason why daddy was gone, because Joe Biden sent them to prison on small charges. Mm-hmm. And that's just more hypocrisy from the Democratic side and this right. huge, huge, uh, not huge, but it's a glaring issue of these uh, white elitists running the party and pretending like they genuinely care enough to make a change. And, by and we, we do need Charlie to be open. Yeah, about Chaz, I'm sorry. It basically he said that, like, if you don't vote for like Biden or Democrats, you ain't black. Yeah, you yeah. ain't black. <laughs> That Didn't so he say that? Apology? Yeah, yeah, he, he said, said that, if, right? If you vote wow. for Trump and you're like black, Trump you're not really black. He's yeah. like, if you got a problem choosing between me or Trump, then and his you apology ain't black. was he used his he like apologized? I was sorry, I would yeah, and he said I'm sorry it. I was such a wise guy. I shouldn't have been so cavalier. Mm. <laughs> like, okay. Talk about missing the point apology. and then replying in a way that's like so ivory tower. I'm sorry I was a wise guy. I shouldn't have been so cavalier. You called people out on their race because because of their voting habits. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. You shouldn't be told how to vote just because of the way you look. I, I don't believe that that's like how it works. Like I just yes. that just seems fundamentally wrong in my mind. Um, it should be a consideration, especially if you're 
uh, how you look is what's being an issue in society. And if you're being persecuted, that should definitely be a motivation for you on how you vote. But it shouldn't be pandered to you with these identity politics that these old white people are just screaming, vote for me. Otherwise, you're not actually you. Right. And I mean, you come say, on. I mean, you say old white people, and I'm like, most people in politics are white. And mm-hmm. I had an old. <laughs> I mean, they are. And it's just how it's been. And people vote them in. And um, like, goodness. Um, my high school government teacher, she's phenomenal. She was like North Texas Teacher of the Year or something. And she was like, most people want to just believe that everyone is racist and sexist because they're, I mean, there aren't a lot of women and there aren't a lot of minorities typically in politics. There just really aren't. There are more now than there were 10 years ago, but there aren't. And my teacher was like, honestly, before 2010, uh, people just didn't run. Like if you weren't white and you weren't a male, typically you just did not run for office. And she says that is changing now. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And you're like, it's just weird. And like white elitists run it. Whatever. But And it's not to be mentioned that the Republican party also has its issues and they do run along these same lines we do have a massive issue across party lines as far as identity politics and stuff like that but we do see a lot of that hypocrisy stemming from the democrats especially right now um right mm -hmm. they're they're using this to exploit political gain i feel like like all this whole black lives matter movement and they're like oh we'll come like vote democrat and stuff like this and i'm like most of the cities where this stuff is happening is controlled blue. Like 90% of the cities are blue. 99 probably. Oh, yeah. I, I Seriously, I can't think of one that's red. And it's to your point, Kieran, yeah, I mean, we've got this. Unfortunately, it's true. If you were to look at a white supremacist group, they're not going to be voting Democratic. No. Right. Um, and and it's, it's just shame that they've attracted to the Republican Party and its policies. And, and maybe and, we should yeah. do more to stop feeding the democratic party like oh look at all this these easy hits what if we could do more to distance ourselves from that radical stack right and i think uh yeah and i know trump has actually denied some campaign contributions um this was i think 2016 um like white supremacist groups were actually trying to give him and he was like no he didn't want to take it he said no because he didn't like what they were it's just interesting um, what what groups have gravitated towards which party and why? Yeah, but yeah, awesome. What are we? Is that about an hour? About an hour. Anybody about else right. have any have any comments about anything? I'm all set. I think awesome. that covers most of it. Cool. And, and as Kieran said at the beginning, of course, this was all just our opinions. It's a group of us just talking about it. Yes, having this, a civil discussion none of this, this is, is yeah. opinions of tpusa of ttu of anything we represent or mentioned right and of course we support black lives matter in every way we can and i know i speak for all of us when we say we'd love to see uh, our african-american our minority friends feel comfortable in their own communities and we'll do everything we can to make sure that happens in our lifetime great uh, just to close, uh, thank you guys for listening today. Um, obviously, stay informed. Thanks for listening, but uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast.